going to take care of that crab daddy. Crab daddy? <laughs> what? Oh. <laughs> I'm drunk. What am I, drunk? Crab daddy. <laughs> Pirate. So give us another read on that. <laughs> Hello and welcome to It's Not TV. It's a podcast. I'm Nicole and along with me is David. Hello, hello. Welcome back to our very special format for season three. In order to quench the overwhelming regret for not having a podcast that covered Game of Thrones, we're covering each episode of House of the Dragon on the pod as they air to correct the order of things. Spoiler warning. Please understand we will be talking about all the things for the episode that we're covering as well as any that have aired previously. There will also be spoilers for Game of Thrones TV show, The Song of Ice and Fire books, all the jazz. If you don't want to know what the crabs eat, consider yourself warned. It's people. That's what they eat. (laughs) That said, we will not be spoiling the ending for House of the Dragon. If you want to know the ending right now, go read George R.R. Martin's Fire and Blood or your favorite Reddit thread. So this is episode two of House of the Dragon, and episode one was fairly successful. It had over 10 million viewers, and it got House of the Dragon renewed. So now we follow up with episode number two, and was it as good? We're going to talk about that. But this episode managed to bring in even more people than the first episode, clocking in at 10.2 million viewers. Also important to note that episode two takes place roughly six months after episode one. So a lot has been happening. Nicole, let's talk about that title sequence. Okay, so before I knew it was a family tree, I thought it was bloodshed, (laughs) like as the Targaryens conquered Westeros. Oh, right, right. Yeah, I I was confused because the original context of the sequence was like buildings and locations. So it put me off from figuring it out myself. So thanks to our producer, he told me what was going on. Yeah. And so what is going on is that while Game of Thrones intro went through uh, the map of Westeros. Yes. uh, Sort of done as miniature. uh, House of the Dragon flies us through King Viserys's model of old Valeria, the one that he's been Mm -hmm. playing with both episodes and kind of building Lego set style. Such a grown up. You know what? Legos, you never get too old for Legos. I don't think. uh, Little volcano. Yeah, little volcano. Uh, So the blood that moves throughout this sort of model, the blood flows through little insignias that seem to represent different Targaryen characters from history. So it's kind of like a super bloody family tree of the Targs flowing through Valeria. And at the end of all that blood, it flows into a giant ass Targaryen sigil. Uh, We're not going to go through all of the sigils that it goes through, but Nicole, there are a few important ones in this group, right? There are. So we start off with Aegon the Conqueror's crown. That starts the blood flow. Then they flow through a bunch of other sigils. If you want to know what they are and who they are and how they split, see the internet. Later on, we see King Viserys's token, which is the same crown that Jaharis wore and is the one that he's wearing in the for opening scene of the show. Queen Amma's insignia is next to him, and it is House Aaron, which is like a little hawk, um, since Amma was an Aaron, and all Aarons must die. Yeah, hashtag poor Aarons. <laughs> then we get to Rhaenyra's, uh, which looks like the charm that Damon gave her in the pilot. And we know the season will take place over a long period of time. So it will be interesting to see what gets added to the family tree and which Targaryen babies are included. The music. I think it's slightly different, but not significantly different. Oh, you do? I I read that it was slightly different. I don't know if I disagree with that. Is it like Ice Uh, Ice Baby slightly different? Yes, it's I think it's it's enough to cause a copyright <laughs> issue. Um, but, so it's it's slightly different. But I mean, unless you really dig into it, unless you're a musician, you probably don't notice. What were your thoughts on using the same music theme for Game of Thrones? I'm not unhappy at all. I mean, there is just that certain feeling it gives you and it it still works on me. Even in season eight, 
it worked on me. So, um, it would have been cool if they did a little like Harry Potter, Fantastic Beasts remix where they kind of nod to uh, John Williams' original score when they make the prequels. But you said they changed it a little. Is that disappointing to you? Are you into it? Did you like it that they use the same song ish? I think if you had asked me, and maybe you did, maybe we talked about this on the, on the last episode. Uh, if I wanted a different theme, I probably would have said yes. I would have preferred something different. That being said. I can't be mad at the game. It's such a phenomenal theme song. Like you said, it it kicks off again and you're right back into it. So it's good. I think they made the smart call because I think if you do try something different, there's a chance people don't like it. Right. There's no one that doesn't love the Game of Thrones theme song. Uh, so I think I think, you know, they tried, you know, that there's like a playlist of attempts. Yes. And they're just they they couldn't cut it. Yeah, And I think, too, if it was too different. If it's too different, then people aren't going to like it. If it's too similar, they're going to say, why didn't they just use the original theme? So, yeah, I think it's a it's yeah. a no win situation like like they did. Yeah. yeah. This very similar, slightly, slightly different, different theme song. Yeah. So I, I think they made the right choice. Overall, the intro sequence, I don't know that I like it better than the Game of Thrones one, but I spent eight seasons with the Game of Thrones one. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see. And then just kept getting better. Yeah. So I feel like. I did really enjoy this one and I'm good with it. I think a good highlight for season eight or like if you were trying to be an optimist and saying something positive about season eight is the opening sequence was sick. The way they would like roll like ice down the map. Oh my gosh. So cool. Yeah. So after the intro, there was actually an episode, uh, which was a nice bonus uh, for for folks like me who who wrote high on the intro. But a whole bunch of stuff happened on episode two. Nicole, why don't you take us through some of the highlights? Yes, the pirates are ravaging the coast, and they've started attacking ships with Valerian banners. The king is sticking to diplomacy, but Lord Corliss wants the king to take action. To no avail, Princess Rhaenyra speaks out of turn and suggests sending dragon riders. And at the end of the episode, shit gets wild with Corliss and Damon. We'll get to that a little later. So the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, who we didn't really pay attention to, uh, he dies of natural causes, old age. Whatever. Non-dragon related, we assume. They said he was ill for a while. Rhaenyra is a pain in the ass in the small council room. So they ship her off to go help decide who's going to be her guardian, uh, who's going to be the new member of the Kingsguard. So they roll out a whole bunch of people and Otto Hightower wants her to pick someone from one of the other noble houses so that the crown looks good slash he looks good. Mm -hmm. But she points out that none of them have wartime experience because they're all like tourney knights. And she asks if anyone has actual experience. And hey, it's our friend Kristen Cole from last week. And Rhaenyra appoints him to the King's Guard. So good for him. Little little nobody uh, getting appointed to the King's Guard. So we're we're excited for Kristen Cole, the little shit. Damon has been squatting at Dragonstone for the past six months and he decides he's bored and wants to make trouble. He steals a dragon egg for his alleged child to get his brother's attention. So the king takes Damon's bait once it's revealed that the egg was meant for Prince Balon. That's the baby that died last week. Otto Hightower goes in the king's place to retrieve the egg, but has zero fucking plan other than showing up and looking good. Shield your fucking steel. He does. Yeah. When when the dragon, when Damon's dragon shows up, Otto's just like, put away your swords, assholes. We're about to be cooked alive. But Rhaenyra shows up with her dragon makes some pithy comments with Damon, retrieves the egg, and all is well uh, in this awesome standoff that we'll talk more about. The queen who never was tells Rhaenyra that her time as heir will pass, and not to think for one second the realm will accept a woman ruler. So six months is a long time for a king to be single, and King Viserys is getting the itch. And by that I mean everybody's clawing and scratching at him to marry so that he can continue his line. House Valerian wants to join their great households and offers up their 12-year-old daughter, uh, and it's super icky and weird, um, but everyone else thinks it's a great idea. But King Viserys talks to his daughter, Rhaenyra, and she convinces him it is time to get married. So he announces that he's going to marry her best friend, Alison Hightower, and nobody is happy, except for maybe Alison Hightower. Corliss slides into Damon's DMs and talks going to take care of the crab daddy pirate oh sure (laughs) so a lot happening this episode 
Nicole, did you find it easy to follow? We we jumped timelines to get into this episode, but then I think it was pretty snappy going through. I think they did a good job of really communicating timing. So I didn't have a hard time following. I'm more familiar with the characters. Did you think that it kind of threw you for a loop at all? No, I I think they're being smart about introducing characters slowly. Like, so you see them, but other characters don't quite reference them until it's important. Uh, so, for example, there's a scene where Viserys talks to Lionel Strong, who is the master of laws. And they kind of set up, you're on the small council, Sir Strong, or whatever. So there's like this, let me repeat your name. And there's also, it's been six months since X. Mm-hmm. I think they're doing a pretty fair job of... There's a lot of names that sound similar. There's a lot of new characters we're being introduced to. But I, I think they do a, a good job of, of keeping the audience going for the most part. So let's dive into the Crab Daddies and the Stepstones and the end of the episode conversation with Damon and Corliss. Let's start with explaining what a triarchy is. Yes. So the, the triarchy is a collection of nations from the free cities. Think Dario Naharis, uh, Tyrion's girlfriend, Shay, Arya's fencing instructor. All of those characters from the original Game of Thrones are from some of the free cities. So three of them team up together and they have a ton of economic power in Westeros. The Iron Bank of Bravos, which we remember from Game of Thrones. So they're an important they're an important group, the Triarchy. And the Stepstones are islands that control basically the southern pass for the Narrow Sea. It's it's an important strategic point for ships passing through. And that's why the Triarchy, it seems, which has some pirates as part of it, is attacking uh, Valerian ships that are passing through and causing some problems for our friend Corliss. So it is an issue. Corliss is raised that other people have talked about it. It hurts Corliss the most now, but it's only a matter of time before it, it hurts Westeros in some fashion. So do you think Prince Viserys, his approach here is, hey, let's just chill. Let's talk to them. I think he mentions he sent some diplomats. So he's slow rolling this while Valerian ships are being destroyed. Do you think this is the right approach? Oh, shit. So, I I mean, in general, I think that diplomacy is the right call. But I do believe that having dragon riders intimidate would make a stand and a statement um, enough to kind of tell them that they're ready, they're watching, they're aware. Oh, so you think like a, sh- a show of force? A li- yeah, like a little could go a long yeah. way, like a warning. Like, okay, um, you know, let's just say that they like parked the boat and like went ashore to like get some grub. <laughs> Light the empty boat on fire. Yeah. Say what's up. <laughs> Move on. Don't come run around here. We got dragons. We'll cook up your crabs and have a nice leave meal. A, leave a flaming bag of poop on their doorstep. <laughs> yeah, with your dragons. I agree. I understand what Viserys is doing. But from Corliss's perspective, his fleet, they say, makes up 50% of the Westeros fleet. So if he's complaining about his fleet being picked off, that ultimately is hurting Westeros's fleet. Yes. And I don't like that Viserys is like, well, I'll just pay you off. I do think, though, I think what's important is Corliss Valerian at one point lists out a bunch of stuff. And he says, like, your wife died, your son died, right? Your brother's a pain in the ass, and these pirates are attacking your ships. It'll make other people think you're weak. And I think what Corliss Valerian is telling us in that moment is, I think you're weak. So he's kind of given it to the king a little bit. This, hey, the perception is out there that you don't have control over Westeros, because you can't control your own fucking family. He's given a little dig to the king and saying, like, if if I'm, you know, they must be thinking this when he's really saying the powerful people in Westeros are thinking this. So what's up with Westeros and like your king doesn't do what you want them to do. And you're just like, eh, not my king <laughs> anymore. <laughs> he goes behind the king. Corliss doesn't get what he wants. He doesn't get the proposal that he wants. He goes behind the king's back. He wants to provoke, I don't know if he wants to provoke war so much as take action on on Crab Daddy Pirate with the king's exiled brother, Damon, no less. Yeah. And it just doesn't seem like he's there in the good interest of the realm. What do you think about that conversation? That conversation was really interesting to me because I felt like 
Corliss Valerian was there's an overlap here. And it's it's he he wants his ships operational because he wants Westeros strong. That makes sense. It's also his personal wealth. He admits that he built his own. You know, he's like, uh, you know, we're one of the two. He says a Damon who built our own you know, houses. Mm-hmm. Corliss is trying to play both sides of the coin. And he's trying to emphasize this aspect of the king isn't doing enough. We need to do this like almost like it's our royal duty to protect Westeros. Mm-hmm. But Damon sees through that like instantly. And it's like, yeah, don't talk shit on my brother. I get like, I get it. I get what you're trying to do. Now, Damon still buys. It seems like he still buys into this. Yeah, he he's down to to make some trouble. Yeah, but but. Not at the expense of his brother's name. Yes. Unless he's the one that's spending his brother's name. Yes. Yes. And as, as someone who has multiple brothers, you are allowed to talk the most shit on your brothers, but no one else is allowed to talk shit on your brothers. Yeah. I may backstab my brother and go to war using his troops and his name, but you don't get to do that shit. You keep his fucking name out of your mouth. So I really thought it was smart. Of, I thought it was smart of Corliss to push the issue with Damon. But he overplayed his hand a little bit. Damon's like, well, no, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, let's let's fight. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, let's totally fucking do this. Yeah. <laughs> so after episode one, we kind of saw that we were setting up maybe this Damon versus uh, Rhaenyra uh, as as our two competing sort of folks for the throne, the heirs to the throne. It looks to me like in this scene, Corliss has picked a side at least, and has now teamed up with Damon. Do you, do you think that's going to last? Do you think that was that's the right thing for them to do? Do you think that puts them at direct odds against Viserys and his daughter, Rhaenyra? You know, I think what's interesting, what will be interesting to see is if the king separates himself from their actions and behaviors, or if he's even able to. Oh, okay. Or if he aligns with it. It'll be interesting to see how the king handles that communication, that the PR around yeah. the attack. Do you think it depends on if they're successful or not? So like if if Damon and Corliss go down and kick ass, do you think the king has to say, yeah, this was my idea. I sent them. But if they go down and get their asses kicked, he's like, well, I had nothing to do with this. Do you think he just waits to see what happens? Well, I think I think it depends on the success metric, because I know that HBO didn't spend that much money on makeup and that sick shot and all the damn crabs just to annihilate him in one episode. So I think we're going to be seeing maybe maybe a a rough hit, but I don't think we're going to see an end to the crab daddy's reign. You think based on the fact that he's badass looking, they have to keep him around? There's just no like we would if they were just going to go there and, and explode him to death. There's just no reason to show us who they're exploding. <laughs> so that takes us um, into a little bit of Damon's insecurities. I think that we've covered that Corliss is trying to expose um, some of the trigger points that Damon has in trying to please or, or get the attention of the king. There's another person who's looking for the attention of the king, and that's Princess Rhaenyra. Yeah. They've got insecurities. Is everything Rhaenyra doing right now trying to please her father? Is she trying to make him proud? I mean, even in the scene in the set, they're talking about the mourning of her mother and she's she starts crying and explains that she just wants her father to see her as more than his little girl. Yeah. What I think Rhaenyra really wants is she's never been the primary thing. She's never been the most important thing. And uh, in the books, they kind of talk about this period where she's loved and adored, but I don't think that comes through in the show. I think she's certainly well liked and respected by people, but she's not adored as as she is in in the novel. I mean, she really fills that cup. Yeah, she's filling cups. I mean, it's been six months since she was named heir and she's still just filling cups. So she's not got to see that the council, she's not preparing and being trained. Rhaenyra is somebody who needs somebody at this stage. I think it's apparent that she was very close with her mom and her mom is gone. And in the first episode, we see her spend a lot of time with Allison Hightower. She only spends a limited amount of time with her now. And it seems like Allison is spending more of her time with Rhaenyra's dad, King Viserys, but she may not know that. Since her mom has died, her dad has largely ignored her or shunned her because of his own grief. 
her best friend isn't spending as much time with her as she used to. And then she also had her uncle Damon, who in the first episode we established that she was close with. And he gets shipped off and he runs away to Dragonstone where he hides for six months. Squats. Squats. He squats in Dragonstone. I think when you talk about Rhaenyra, where she went from episode one to episode two is she went from being very close with her mother, having a best friend, having a loving, though slightly distant father and having a cool uncle to having kind of a best friend who she talks to every once in a while and a distant and estranged father. No mother. And a dead mom and a missing uncle. So I think it puts her in a place where not only is she looking for her dad's approval, I think she might be looking for any sort of that comfort that she used to have. I think it's becoming more and more clear that the only person that she has is Damon. Mm -hmm. She doesn't really have a confidant. Even the king in their conversation mentions that they should be able to speak freely to each other. They don't. But they don't. (laughs) Not about her mother. Not about anything. In one moment, he's telling her all the secrets of the kingdom. And the next, he's telling her she's just a girl and she doesn't know anything. When she's bringing real action and real solutions to the table, even if she's speaking out of turn, I think that she has this respect from her uncle. Not that he's necessarily someone (laughs) to aspire to. So those two, Damon and Rhaenyra, we set the stage. This is at Dragonstone. And Damon has stolen a dragon egg because he wants to place it in the crib of the baby that he's going to have with his whore. Fiance. Uh, I'm referring to her how uh, the, the small council does. I apologize if I'm being mean to Masaria. The white worm. The white worm. Yeah, I don't remember what Masaria does in the book, so I may not take it back. I got to remember if I like her or not. Damon steals an egg because it's tradition to put an egg in the crib of new babies for the Targaryens. And he wants to give it to his, his lady friend, uh, Masaria, who he says she's pregnant and he's going to marry her. Both of those are a lie. But the point is, Otto Hightower comes out to take the egg back, and there is a standoff uh, on Dragonstone on on basically a stone bridge, uh, the same kind that we saw Jon Snow make googly eyes at Daenerys in season season seven and season eight. So it's Otto Hightower, some of his household guard, plus Kristen Cole, the Daemon, and the gold cloaks that he took with him to hold Dragonstone, and then Daemon's dragon shows up. And crawls along the rocks to protect him. And so Otto immediately is like, yo, sheathe your swords. He doesn't say we're all about to be fucked, but it's heavily implied. And so now they're at this dangerous standoff here where Damon has the high ground. And then in the distance, through the fog of Dragonstone, emerges Rhaenyra on her dragon. And so she flies over all of them and then lands on the bridge like like a G. And then hops off her dragon and marches through the line to sort of have this standoff with Damon and to sort of save Otto Hightower's ass. Holy fuck, that scene. Yeah, I mean, you've got two dragons. It looks like a face-off between old air and new air. Yeah. But really, I think it's more of a power struggle from Rhaenyra against Otto. Okay. Because earlier in the episode, he tries to manipulate her to choosing a different Kingsguard. And then when she arrives, he tries to say, no, let's protect her. She's going to get hurt. And she just blows right past him. And she's unable to be controlled by Otto. Yeah. What that scene told me is that Targaryens are playing a different game than everyone else. That Damon is there and Damon's being cocky. He's trying to trying to provoke both his brother and Otto. He clearly doesn't like Otto. When his dragon shows up, it's clear he has the advantage. Now, whether or not he's going to burn them all alive or not, who knows? He may not be that risky uh, and kill the hand of the king. But when Rhaenyra shows up with her dragon, to your point, Otto's first reaction is, what you doing here, protector? But everyone parts for her, literally on this small bridge. Otto's men and the, the guards they have with them slide out of the way and let her walk right through them. Mm-hmm. And she walks to her uncle. What's interesting about that is, is they clearly show that there's the game being played by folks like Corliss and Otto and the, the normal Game of Thronesy people. But the, the Targaryens, Daemon and Rhaenyra are playing a different game, a higher level game where they're above everyone else. And I, I think it speaks to a little bit about the, 
the next topic we'll get into, which is the importance of having the bloodline continue. How important are Targaryens with their dragons to Westeros in general? So in the conversation, they established that Rhaenyra establishes that she believes Damon is just poking the bear. He's just being dramatic. And even to the point of the way he holds the egg, like it's flippant, like he tosses it around at her at the end, go long, which is very (laughs) uncle, but it's uncle in Westeros. And you just, there's never, you would think that there would be contention between them based on what King Viserys did, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of tension between these two characters, not at least not in the way you'd expect. She, she even says, kill me, get me out of the way. And he almost smiles um, when she lands on the dragon. Damon and Rhaenyra didn't seem like they'd come to blows. I still felt like the addition of dragons ratcheted up the terror of the scene. Uh, uh, Caraxes, who's Damon's dragon, is giant and has like a weird dolphin horror sound coming out of its mouth. And it's a little deformed. So he crawls out without Damon saying anything to kind of like back him up. And then when Rhaenyra shows up with Cyrax, who seems smaller and maybe not as terrifying, though, comes from the mist of of the island of Dragonstone and rises up out of the mist. It's just a really like if you're not into Game of Thrones and if you're not into House of the Dragon, this would be the scene I give to people. Mm. And this would be the scene that I would say this is an example of when when Game of Thrones, when A Song of Ice and Fire is at its best, which is a bunch of people talking shit to one another, flexing on each other. We have cool CGI dragons. Was this your favorite scene of the show so far? For me, I think it was. I think it's one of easily one of the most beautiful scenes, maybe even in canon. Yeah. With the sun in the background, kind of hazy. Yeah, it's it's really good. So her father wedding Alicent. Why is it so important that he get married? The general consensus is this. Bad things can happen to people. Rhaenyra could fall off a horse, fall off her dragon. Uh, the king is being murdered by his own chair slowly and surely. So <laughs> the trick is, if you think Damon would be a bad king, which it seems like everyone, even those people who like Damon, think he would make a bad king, then you need to have more kids. You need to have more children between, right, Rhaenyra and and Damon, even if they're not males, you just need a longer bloodline to sort of knock Damon down the list. It, it'd be like in England. You're like, why does this Prince Andrew need to have kids? And you're like, have you seen Prince Harry? Whoa, 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 whoa. No, I think these are the wrong names. Are they? Who's? Listen, <laughs> listen to me. Don't do that. It's William. William. So if you're looking at England, <laughs> you're like, William is a good king. But have you seen that Harry? You'd want William to have as many kids as as possible. Well, if you back it up a step, the the queen had Charles, who's very disliked. I don't know if you heard, but Princess Diana is well liked and he cheated on her. Oh, he's next in line technically, but nobody wants him. Yeah. So if your job is to prevent Damon from being king, you have to have a lot of kids, which means you need to get married. So. The king kind of asks around and everyone has a fucking opinion on this. <laughs> so everyone kind of makes their own pitch. Some of this is duty to the realm. Some of this is about like, well, this is what's this to the realm. Some of it is just personal ambition to grow their house. Uh, every once in a while, they get to mix the two. So what, what are some of our pitches we get here to King Viserys on, on who she who she he should wed in bed? So Corlys the sea snake and his wife, Renice, the queen who wasn't. They talk to the king on the side and he apologizes for coming in hot at the council meeting regarding the pirates and needing to take action and do something. But then they use this opportunity to propose that they join their houses and have the king marry his 12 year old daughter. Womp, womp, Which would show the triarchy and the rest of Westeros that the kingdom was stronger than ever. Meh, it's pretty convenient that would make his daughter queen. Ain't that the thing? Definitely has a horse in the race. Yeah. Then we have one of the old maesters, a maester to, not to be named, uh, to be named maester. I don't think we catch his name, but he has a great hat. He says, that'd be a good match. 
And, you know, the Valerians didn't get chosen at the Great Council. So this would make things up. So, yeah, definitely go with Corliss Valerian's daughter. So the hand of the king, Sir Otto Air Traffic Controls, (laughs) says the Valerian girl is too young. He's annoyed that Corliss pitched the idea to the king on the side instead of at the small council. But he never pitches the idea of Alicent and begrudgingly agrees that the maester has a good point. But we know that Hightower Air Traffic Control has been trying to pimp his daughter for six months and been laying those roots. Yeah. I didn't say laying the lead. Is it laying pipe? Laying lead? I don't... It is laying pipe. Laying You're right. roots. Yeah. We get our, our longest scene with Lionel Strong. Lionel Strong is on the small council. Spoiler alert, Lionel Strong uh, was in the first episode that we barely noticed him. But he is here again, and we start to, we have the king go to him, and it looks like the king summoned him. So they go to the small council, and he's like, hey, sorry to bother you. Uh, Should I fuck a 12-year-old? Is basically what he asks. And Lionel Strong is basically like, yeah, her parents own like half the fleet, so yes, yes, you should. So I think what's really interesting there is the king talks to Lionel Strong about, well, what if I say no? And because he he says the Lionel Strong, you know, you don't have a horse in this game. You're not related to either uh, of these. And Lionel Strong is worried about would it push them to war? And his line is actually, I fear nothing short of a direct line to the Iron Throne will satisfy Corliss. So he basically says, if you don't do this, you're making an enemy of Corliss. So I think that's the two balances here is that Otto Hightower cleverly made his daughter available, whereas Corliss kind of made it loud and known. And so Viserys, in trying to make it look like he's not being bullied, says, well, I'll at least take the guy that quietly manipulated me, as opposed to the guy that's loudly trying to manipulate me. So before the final wife choice is made, Rhaenys and Rhaenyra have a little chat. So Rhaenys essentially tells Rhaenyra the king will wed. Whoever he marries will produce a son. And whether the king likes it or not, if there is a male in the line, that is who the realm will acknowledge. And he's going to die and they will expect the male to ascend. How do you feel about this conversation and how it lays the foundation for their relationship? Rainey's is interesting here because I think she plays against type. I think if I were writing this scene, I'd default to, well, they're women All the men are assholes. All the men, there's this patriarchy that runs everything. They have to work together. And I think that's an ignorant read. And it's probably one that men make of how these two characters should be. I think instead, the way this scene plays for me is that Rainey's knows there's only a few positions of power available in Westeros to women. Mm -hmm. She doesn't think any of those positions will be queen, but she does realize that there are positions of power. And I think for her, if... Rhaenyra gets one of those. If Rhaenyra is important, then that means Rhaenys is less so. So she got fucked over once at the Great Council. She could have been picked. She wasn't. Now, when we have this moment here, she sees that Rhaenyra was picked so far. But I think she kind of, she's playing the role of, listen, sweetie, there's only going to be one woman in power in Westeros. She's not going to be at the top. She can't be at the top. And it wasn't me, so it probably can't be you. So I thought it was really interesting. I thought it was an interesting take that both characters, it was it was written as if they were two human beings and that it wasn't written from the perspective of, oh, well, they're the women and men are so awful. All the women should band together to fight the men. It's like, well, that sounds great. But like you can't even get an all girls alliance and big brother. You're definitely not getting one in Westeros. Like that just doesn't happen. So I, I, I thought it worked really well. Yeah. If Rhaenys was going to mentor her, there was a moment where she was like, I don't like the idea of my 12 year old daughter being married off to your father. That was the moment where I was like, okay, where is this going? But very quickly she iced over and there was big Cersei talking to Sansa drunk energy during the battle and telling the, telling her this is how things are. You're a woman. This is your place. This also mirrors the conversation she had with Emma, her mother, in episode one. Your battlefield is bearing children for your husband. So go be a good baby maker. So I, I really feel like there was an opportunity for a mentorship. Um, but instead it was, there, like you're saying, there's one seat at the table. 
And if it's not me, it's certainly not going to be you. Yeah. Rhaenyra's response to that a little bit intrigued me too. It reminded me of Daenerys where Daenerys was always breaking the wheel, which she didn't Mm -hmm. really break the wheel. Uh, But here Rhaenyra was like, well, I'll change things, right? So after the king asks everyone else in the fucking realm what he should do about his marriage quandary, he decides to spend some time talking with his daughter. They open up to each other for the first time in six months about his wife, her mother, dying in childbirth. They have a heart-to-heart where Rhaenyra makes it clear that she understands his role and his duty is to the realm first and says, it's cool. I'm, I'm cool with it. Get married, dad. Do your thing. What he fails to mention is he made the call on the birthbed to kill her mother <laughs> in favor of the babe. What he fails to tell her is there's not just one marriage on the table, but there is another that has been brewing for six months. Secret talks that he intentionally told Alicent not to share with Rhaenyra. So in a conversation where the king wishes to be closer and and remain very connected with his daughter, he drives the biggest wedge between them. In Game of Thrones, uh, Tywin once said this to King Joffrey, uh, that a man who has to remind people that he's the king is no king. I feel like Viserys is in that realm right now where he has to remind people who he is trying to remind everyone that he's the boss because he's aware he's being seen as weak. And so I feel like when he's reaching out to Rhaenyra here, I I think Paddy Constantine, the actor, does a great job of, of letting his emotion show. But I don't think it's a, I'm going to be truthful with you as if you're my friend. I still think it's with an authority of, I'm asking for your advice, but I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want because I'm king. Mm-hmm. But when your daughter flees during a wedding announcement, this is why. You don't know how to communicate, champ. <laughs> But ignoring the way he delivered the news, what do you think about the actual marriage choice? Him deciding on Alison Hightower, daughter of Hand of the King, giver of stone dragon gifts. What do you think of the idea of this marriage? So not for nothing. I I think over the six months, I think Alison has fallen in love with King Viserys. Okay. I believe that. Um, Based on the scenes, based on the look of adoration when he... When he tells her that Lena was the proposed match, she seems hurt, not afraid, not like she's failed. She doesn't start to like flail, like she's got a plan and it's, it's messed up. She seems genuinely hurt. So I definitely think that there's probably more of a connection there, which makes sense. I think that the King has made a decision to push Corliss out of favor and it's going to have implications right off the bat picking a 17 year old to marry over 12 year olds a win being less of a pet i guess there's degrees of pedophilia that king viserys puts a stake in the ground on i think that's good what did your mother tell you that you can't bed me until i'm 14 yeah oh my uh, god it was i was gonna barf a great scene in terms of and he's like he's like four feet taller or, or like four of hers taller than her they did that directly to make the the distance between them pronounced and i thought it was it was a it was a very well directed scene because it, i think what they wanted out of that scene was the king has to be absolutely disgusted by this arrangement when in medieval westeros the king is disgusted by yes <laughs> having sex with a a woman child woman then we know that there's a yeah, problem we know that it's really bad <laughs> That being said, if I take age out of it and you take Allison's friendship with Rhaenyra out of it, which I I don't think in general you can, but just for sake of argument here, I'm going to take that out of it. Hmm. She's the daughter of the Hand of the King. She's a fucking nerd. In the first episode, we don't get that many scenes with Allison. In the first episode, she's talking about history. She's talking about, you know, famous families and shit and where they're from. Mm-hmm. And then the king's a fucking nerd. He's building Lego models. A clear of, connection of where he's point. Home. Yeah. Yep. So like you can tell they're just hanging out all day, fucking going through history books. And then she's interested in politics. She talks to Rhaenyra about politics. So in terms of stepping back. And just saying, is Alison Hightower, the daughter of the the Hand of the King, who's your trusted ally, who's old enough that it's not going to cause a scandal, old enough that you could start having children right away, 
She's good looking. Mm -hmm. She's fascinated by history. You're a history buff. She's interested in politics. You're the king. Is this on its own a good match? Yes. Is this the best match to hold your fucking kingdom together? Uh, Probably not. I mean, if she produces a a boy, then yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whatever gets to the boy quickest is is helpful. So what do you think is going to happen between King Viserys and his daughter now that he's marrying her best friend? I think they're fucked. And I think uh, it looks like the previews for next week that there's a baby, a young boy. And I think that's going to make him and and Rhaenyra grow apart. Now, there is a chance that he has the baby and Rhaenyra goes, cool, there's the new heir. I can just be buddies with my dad now and I don't need to worry about it. But that's hard to do when your best friend is now the queen. And so, yeah, I think they're I think they're fucked. I think they're likely irreparable. I think they will be estranged. Do I think like she's going to try to kill him or anything? No, I don't think it's 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 that. I don't think that she walked out of that council room because her heirness is being challenged. She walked out because her best friend is marrying her father. Yeah, I, I think her and her father, it's a fracture that will not be solved. So who's playing Game of Thrones best this week? Corliss failed to marry his heir to the king, but he might be starting to war. Otto managed to get his daughter married to the king. Kristen Cole managed to go from a no-name knight to a king's guard. Who won the week? Allison Hightower. So Allison Hightower in Fire and Blood. So she's a little bit older in the in the books in in this this time frame, and they imply that she had done some things with Jaehaerys, the previous king, on his deathbed. Maybe he was was a little friendly with her hands in his dying days. Mm-hmm. They imply that the same may be happening with Viserys. So in the books, there's this negative veil on her uh, going into the stage. I think they're playing her very differently at this stage in the show, and I like I like the change. Mm-hmm. I think Alicent they're playing as a student of history, someone who knows politics, someone who does really care about her friend. And I think you were right. I do think she's fallen for for King Viserys, uh, whether it's his intellect or whether it's sexually or whether it's I don't think that it's power alone. I don't think that Allison's moves are entirely power based. And I think it's because what you said when she's told that the king's looking for a wife. It seems like she's generally disappointed that she wouldn't be considered, but it doesn't seem like a Cersei move, like, oh, I've got to have all the power. Right. It seems like she's bummed that she won't be able to spend time with the king anymore. So, yeah, I think Alison Hightower in this episode, although she's probably ruined her her relationship with her best friend, I think in terms of Game of Thrones, she went from the daughter of the Hand of the King, who's essentially like a lady in waiting, uh, a lady of the court, to she's going to be queen. And so I think that's a pretty big win going from hand of the hand of the king's daughter, lady in waiting, lady of the court to queen. Because you like to talk shop with the king and help him build models uh, without even having to get handsy. Like if you were able to be queen without having to give a hand job, like kudos to you. <laughs> in Westeros. In Westeros, even in real life, if, if you, you can make it to queen without giving a handy, God bless you. So I, I give my vote to Allison Hightower. How about you? Who's playing Game of Thrones the best right right now this week? So when you've watched Game of Thrones and you've seen some of the masters play, it's it's kind of hard to look at this bunch and, and find your Peter Baelish, <laughs> if you will. If you're if you're going on the surface like that, Otto seems to be the Peter Baelish in a way. I don't think he's as slick. I don't think he's nearly as smart. I think he gets lucky. I think he has the king's ear. So so he gets lucky. So I'm going to go out on a limb and put out like a little theory. I don't think it's impossible to think that King Viserys is playing the game. Okay. Maybe he sees everything for what it is. Maybe he's playing dumb, keeping everyone thinking they've got him. And when in fact, he's got everyone else's card. So is it probable well, we all know what happens in 200 years or so, so not really. <laughs> but did he strategically choose to oust Corliss simply because of how he's come at his position, how in Otto's words, he considered himself an equal just because he has a seat at the table. So 
we'll see how it plays out, but I'm going out on a limb with my winner of the week. All right. So our producers prepared some questions about the episode based on the hottest Twitter and Reddit threads this week. So let's get into it, David. Fire away. Do you think Rhaenyra has romantic feelings for Alicent? Is she upset that her dad is marrying her best friend or her crush? Yes. Yes. With a caveat. Mm -hmm. And I've read a lot about this uh, in the, the last 24 hours. I think what's really important for me is not to armchair quarterback uh, Rhaenyra's sexuality or Allison's sexuality. Mm -mm. Right. I think we can ignore sexuality for a moment and talk about love. To your point. Yeah. I think that love is a strong emotional feeling that can be tied to the physical or not tied to the physical. Mm -hmm. Do I think based on what we've seen, Rhaenyra and Allison are in love? Sure. I think that they've they've shown affection towards one another. They hold hands. I think Allison has been there for Rhaenyra as much as she can be when she's not there for her dad. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think they have a connection over their mom's dying because that also happened to Allison. I do think there's an element when they're looking at each other in that moment where the, the announcement is made. I think there is loss that happens there. And whether that's yes. I, whether or not they, they want to fuck is irrelevant to me. I think they clearly love each other. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I would I would plus one this theory. You too. I agree. Yeah. OK. Up next, Allison's dad, Otto Hightower, when the king wants to go to Dragonstone. Otto Hightower says, no way, I'm going. And he also says that he shouldn't marry uh, Lena Valerian. Is Otto really in charge of the realm right now? I think he thinks he is. Yes. I think Damon's in charge of the realm right now. Damon's at least in charge of Dragonstone, which is something. <laughs> I mean, and he has a big ass dragon. He has a dragon and our king doesn't have a dragon. No, I think that's actually interesting, too, that the king points out this episode uh, that he was the last one to ride Balerion, uh, the Dread, who's who's the most famous dragon of all the dragons. And I, I don't think he's taken a dragon since. So nope. he is not. And he seems in episode one, he was talking a little bit about how he's scared of the dragons. Do we know why? Because I think he's scared. He's a scared boy. How do you go from riding the Dread dragon <laughs> to not ever riding a dragon again? Nicole, he, he can't even sit on his chair without getting cut. What the fuck's he going to do on a dragon? Oh, all right, for the next one. The crab feeder has a seriously fucked up face under that mask. What happened to your face, man? So Altshift X thinks he may have been fed to the crabs at some point himself or had the crabs munch on him, eat his skin. Um, so that's why he does that to other people. He got bit. You get bit. What do you think? One, Altshift X is amazing. If you're not listening to Altshift X uh, YouTube series and podcasts, please do. The second note here, I don't know, but I think he's probably the coolest looking dude in Game of Thrones yet. In Game of Thrones, in, in House of the Dragon, hmm. he looks fucking terrifying. And I'm personally, I have thalassophobia. I'm scared of the sea. And he he looks like he's from the sea. Like he's got like boils and he's got like carbuncles and shit on him. I don't know. Stuff the sea has. Like he looks like the underside of a ship. <laughs> and so he's terrifying to me. What's what's your guess? Well, I don't I don't know if I have a guess. I think it's an interesting concept that maybe um, he's not only of the sea, but created by sea crustaceans. Yeah. But what I will say is the hound got his face burned and he just put a couple of strings of hair over it. Do we need a mask? Come on, own it. Own your deformities. <laughs> yeah, he had, a, he had a hound helmet, but yeah, he usually had that, that flap up. He wanted to show off that he was deformed. On our next question. In this episode, King Viserys tells Alicent about old Valeria. And he says that the volcanoes and their fires were the source of Valerian magic and power. Uh, the book, Fire and Blood, even describes that Valerians were using blood magic to make Frankenstein-like monsters and all other kinds of weird shit. Nicole, do you think magic will become a bigger part of this show as we move ahead, somewhat similar to what it did in Game of Thrones? I, I hope so. The one thing that I will mention on Twitter today, the actress who plays Melisandre, the Red Priest in the Game of Thrones series, uh, mentions her age 
or reminds everyone of her age and uh, implies that she could have been around for this time period. So we might be seeing, we wouldn't know how she would look. She, she has a very old persona <laughs> and a very young and beautiful persona. So it'll be interesting to see um, how they pull that in if they pull that in at all if magic comes into play so thank god because i was wondering if we would have an army who needed their weapons set on fire before they charged into darkness and were all murdered instantly and now i know that melisandre could show up and turn their weapons to fire before they're all brutalized she can bring people back to life she doesn't know how but she can bring people back to life yeah but i don't want it I'm I'm a pass i don't need any any reprisals I know. you're not you're not big into high fantasy but i i I think that the way that they dabbled in magic in Game of Thrones was enough for the next one. So one of my favorite, favorite theories that I've read, I don't know why, because I can't wrap my head around how this would come together, but I really like the idea that Daemon Targaryen is the Night King. He's got the pointy nose, his outfit that he wears most of the time is very similar. It explains why the Night King rides the dragon like an expert um so what do you think do you think damon becomes our our banished prince becomes our frozen leader no and i hate this question <laughs> so uh i hate you theoretically the night king is is already exists in our world right now he's he's up north he's been around for thousands of years it's unclear. It's very clear. In the flashback where the Night King is made, the children of the forest are around. The children of the forest are now extinct. So in Game of Thrones, they have a flashback to when the Night King was made. Yes, yes. And one, it is a different actor than the one who plays Damon. It is not Matt Smith. Oh. And he is yep. stabbed mm -hmm. with obsidian dragon glass. He becomes the Night King. And so the forest, the people, the children of the forest made him as a weapon to fight the humans because the humans were wiping out the children of the forest. The children of the forest ended up getting mostly wiped out. And that was thousands and thousands of years ago. Damn it. Yeah. I hate you. Can we cut all of this? Sorry. I really like the idea of him being no, the Night King. He can't be. I'm pulling it we all together. Because even like when, when Viserys was banishing him, he was fondling Cat's paw. And I was like, that's meant for you, buddy. <laughs> that's meant for you. <laughs> I hated that question. Next question. You're going to hate this one more. With all the prophecy talk, do you think that Bran fucking Stark, Bran the Broken, is pulling all the strings of this show too? True or false, the dream, the prophecy that Viserys tells Rhaenyra that was once given to Aegon, was that dream given to him by Bran? I, I really hate Bran. Um, <laughs> but again, I... I if there is a cool and clever way that they can tie that George or Ryan, whomever can tie this all together and make this show or book canon, whatever makes sense. I think it would be cool to have a tie back. If these timelines exist, coexist and it's and it and it's cool and makes sense extra points. If it's something that I can't think of, then I think that would be cool. I do not like Bran. I don't like this three-eyed raven bologna and cheese. I don't like he was named king. But yeah, I could get down with this. Yeah. And so GRRM. Jesus. Sounds weird when you say it like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. So George R.R. R. Martin said that there are two official canons now. There's the TV shows, plural. So everything that sort of happens in TV. And then there's the book canon. Mm -hmm. I, I think what's really important for me, I don't like retcons. Um, and for, for those in our audience who don't know, uh, retcon is when you, you don't necessarily say the opposite of something that happened in the past, but you put a new twist on it. And, and so I don't like that in storytelling because it's usually what happens is, is your story got off the rails at some point and then you go, aha, but he had a brother all along. That's an example of a retcon. I typically do not like retcons. I, I think it's a cheap way to do things. I have seen some very good retcons. And I go, oh, that was really fucking clever. For me, Game of Thrones is over. The series we watched for eight seasons, I did not like the ending. I don't want this show burdened 
with trying to make the other show better in retrospect. Mm, that's fair. I don't want them to be like, well, we got to explain why Ari, like if at some point they have a prophecy that a faceless man can be the only one to kill the Night King. Like, I don't need it. I've moved on. We loved it. It was great. I don't want it. I don't want it. So I don't like them feeling burdened to connect the two. And the nods, the winks. Yeah, I'm all in. Do the nods. Do the winks. I think that the prophecy here that a Targaryen has to be on the throne to protect the world from the Long Night, even though we saw how the Long Night went, is good for character motivation. But I don't need stuff in this show to go, well, I know no one was happy with this in Game of Thrones, but what if we reveal, I don't need it. I, I've moved on. For our final question, in this episode, King Viserys managed to ruin his relationship with his daughter, yep. ruin his daughter's friendship, yep. piss off the most powerful house in Westeros, yep. and give his brother a new war buddy. Yep. True or false, King Viserys is the worst king in the history of Westeros. Whew. That's a bold claim. No, but he's not having a good week. <laughs> he's not having a good week. It's not it's not the best week to ask that yeah. question. I think in terms of the worst king of Westeros, if we're thinking purely of the Targaryen line, because before then in Westeros mm -hmm. wasn't really a codified union of kingdoms. I think you have to think who was on the throne when it ended. And so we got to give it to the Mad King, uh, Danny's father, the Mad King. Uh, he was on the throne and he burned a whole bunch of people. And, well, that's funny. and when his heir died, he died. Multiple heirs died. Everyone died. The line was essentially wiped out except for Danny and Jon Snow. Spoilers for Game of Thrones. It didn't matter anyway. But I think the last Targaryen king was the worst one. Interesting. I mean, when you burn children, it makes you pretty bad. Did Was he asserting power as a king? Maybe. I don't know a lot about the kings of Westeros, but Robert Baratheon had three children that were blonde of hair <laughs> and very much not his children. And he just kept going with life. Um, so I think that um, when you can't even control your wife, how can you call yourself a good king? But Oof. that's just contribution to the conversation. I, I don't have a horse in this race. No, that's okay. That's okay. So we talked a lot about the second episode here. Uh, what did we miss? Any, any, any quick hits you want to, you want to talk about that we might've missed? I do have some. Um, so during book club with Alicent, <laughs> King Viserys gives us the history of Valeria and the doom. And I'm like, what the fuck is the doom? So I'm going to assume that other people are like, what the fuck is the doom? So we found out what the doom was. It is the apocalyptic event that destroyed Valeria, which the Targaryens got out of there before yep. it wiped them all out. Some people believe it was a volcanic eruption that killed everyone. Some people think it was some spooky Valerian blood magic gone wrong. And we did see Valeria in the show, uh, Game of Thrones. That is where Tyrion and Jorah rode through and were attacked by the Stone Men. Because now when you get Grayscale, that stone disease, that's where they ship you off to. And it's just ruins right now. And everyone's scared of it and it's spooky. But yeah, no one knows exactly what happened. I think we covered most things. Uh, I do want to point out, though, that uh, Viserys had to put his hand in a bowl of maggots. <laughs> Because his hand did not heal from six months ago when he cut it on the chair. That's not good. If you cut yourself on a throne or on any normal sized chair and six months later, it's still a problem. Go see a doctor like that's not good. All right. Uh, we asked this question at the end of week one. Let's ask this at the end of week two here in terms of heirs for the throne right now. At the end of episode two, it is still Damon versus Rhaenyra. Are you team Damon or team Rhaenyra right now? I think it's definitely Rhaenyra, not only for being the most mature and solutioning, but maybe even the most practical in the way she dives right into the problem and handles it. You know, like, let me just jump on C-Rex. I'm also team Rhaenyra for the moment. I think I like Rhaenyra. So we'll see how that how that lasts as we jump ahead a little bit in time. It looks like our next episode's at least nine months. Nicole, thank you so much for joining me. 
Thank you, fans. Please join us next week, where we'll be talking about episode three of House of the Dragon, titled Second of His Name. Please check out our Twitter feed at It's Not TV Pod for further details about our podcast and to connect with our community. Also, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. A very special thank you to our producer, Matt Malone. It's Not TV is a production of Bruit Media. We wish you good fortune in the pods to come. King Viserys's token, which is the same crown that Jaharis used. Used? He used the crown? <laughs> he wore it. Wore, wore it? <laughs> he wore it. He donned. He like, he like dug with it. He was like in, in the sand. Just <laughs> like. <laughs> That's how he's going to fight the crabber. He's going to show up on the beach and build a little sand the castle out of old Valyria. The is just in your crown, buddy.